Well, good morning, church. What a wonderful privilege it is to be with you here today. Your pastor and I have been friends for a number of years, and he was kind enough to invite me to fill in for him today in his absence at the 945 service. And Kate and I are honored to do that. I'm delighted that my wife Kate is here, my beautiful wife. We've been married two years and I want you to meet her. She is a financial advisor with Edward Jones and has an office over in Allen. And uh, so I'm delighted that the Lord has brought us together and we have our ministry together to serve the Lord. And we're delighted to be a part of you today. So thank you for the privilege of allowing us to be here and love your pastor. Thankful for him and for his ministry and for all that you are doing. We don't live too very far from you. We live over here in Richardson, not too far down the road. And I commute to Southwestern Seminary where I serve as the dean of the School of Preaching there. And uh, so uh, we may be dropping in on you occasionally when I'm not out preaching somewhere just to uh, visit. We were here just a few weeks ago. It was a great joy and honor to be here. So I'm glad you're here today. I want you to join me in the book of Romans. I just found out a while ago that your pastor, I guess on Wednesday night, is uh, teaching through Romans. And uh, so I don't know how far he is in all of that, but uh, we're going to be in the, Ro- in the first chapter of Romans today. And on this Sunday, which concludes a final Sunday of an old year, and leading just two days away into a new year, I felt like the Lord laid on my heart this text and this passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 1, and we're going to be reading verses 13 through 17. Romans 1, 13 through 17. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, drawing from these verses, Where have you been? Where have you been? Romans chapter 1, Paul writes, beginning in verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, brothers and sisters, that I have often planned to come to you but was prevented until now in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Notice the translation, one translation, verse 14, I am a debtor, I am obligated both to the Greeks and barbarians, the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew And also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. We are all born debtors. The moment you emerge from the birth canal, you owe someone nine months for room and board. We are all born debtors. We're all in debt today. You say, you got that right, preacher. I sure am in debt. I did a little work and discovered that the national debt right now stands at $21 trillion. That means for every person, including children, infants, children, 
teenagers, adults, every person who is a citizen of the United States of America, our portion of the national debt that we owe, $67,000, each one of you, by that method. Or, if you are a taxpayer, let's just talk about taxpayers for a minute. If you're a taxpayer, and virtually all of you in here are, your portion of the national debt is $162,000. Can you believe it? It's amazing. The average household credit card debt in the United States right now, $16,400. The average mortgage debt on a home in the United States, $196,000. Got any student loan debt? Guess what the average student loan debt is in the United States? Average student loan debt, $37,396. The median price of a single-family home in the United States, median price, $200,000. How much do you think it costs to raise one child from birth through college? $1.1 million. $1.1 million. Having a baby costs six times as much as owning a house by that token. Except, unlike houses, uh, they don't appreciate in value. (laughs) You can't sell them. And when they turn 16 years of age, they may tell you they hate you. That might work out. Debt. What if God started sending bills for the upkeep of our human bodies? How much would we owe Him? How much oxygen do you think you use in a given year? 550 liters. Do you know how much that would cost you on the market annually? $73,000. If you are 25 years of age, you would owe God $1,825,000 for the oxygen you breathe. If you are 50 years of age, you would owe God $3 million. $500,000. If you are 75 years of age, you would owe God $5,485,000 for the oxygen that you breathe. What if the Lord were to send bills for the upkeep of our bodies? Paul says, I'm a debtor. Right there it is in verse 14. I am under obligation. I am a debtor. You know, Paul's relationship to the church in Rome is a very interesting relationship. At the time he wrote the book of Romans, he had not been to Rome. It would be ten years later before he would ever arrive in Rome, around A.D. 61, but ten years prior to that, he writes a letter to the Christians who are there in Rome. You and I know it as the letter to the Romans, the book of Romans. And Paul says in verse 13, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I've wanted to come and see you, but I've been prevented to this point. Ten years later, Paul would get there. He wanted to come as a preacher. Instead, he went as a prisoner. But even though he was a prisoner, he was still a preacher. He came to Rome ten years later in chains. But nevertheless, ten years prior to that, he writes them a letter. And he says, I want to come to the 
capital city, the imperial city of all of the world, mighty Rome. And I want to tell the story of Christ to all of those who are in Rome. Now, there were believers already in Rome before Paul got there. That's the point of the book of Romans. He's writing to some Christians. And when he writes that book, he says in verse 14, I am a debtor. What does it mean to be in debt? What does it mean to be a debtor? Well, it means to be bound by duty and obligation to do something or to repay something. That's what it means to be a debt. We are responsible to God, Paul says. And when Paul writes, I'm a debtor, he's including all of us who are believers. We are all debtors. When he says, I'm a debtor, in verse 14, he's saying that's true for all of us. We are responsible to God to do everything we can, in every way we can, in every circumstance we can, to preach the gospel to everybody we can, as rapidly as we can, and as effectively as we can. That's what we as Christians are to be about. And so as you close out of 2018, as you move into a 2019, what is God saying to you today? Where have you been? Where have you been? And so Paul says, I am a debtor. Now, it is important to understand, and of course I know I'm preaching to the choir today, you all know this, but those of us who are Christians, we are stewards. Everything we have belongs to Him. I don't have anything that is mine apart from what is His and apart from what He has given me. Everything we have, He's the owner, we are the stewards. What's in your bank account? It's ultimately His and not yours. Well, well, but wait, I earned that. That's what I earned. Yes, you did. You worked for that. You worked dog bone hard for it, didn't you? But nevertheless, what does the Scripture teach? The Bible tells us that He's the owner. We are stewards. Everything we have already belongs to Him. And therefore, we are, as a steward, we've been entrusted with the management of what God has given us. And that would be true not only for our money, but that would be true for our gifting, our talents, our time. All that we have should be expended on His agenda. Kate and I, at the end of this year, are looking and thinking back over what we have done in this past year and with the upcoming year we've set our goals and our plans and what do we want to do and a huge part of that is Lord what's your agenda for our life what's your agenda for our our income what's your agenda for me and my work at Southwestern Seminary and some of the travel that I will do around the world to train others to preach the gospel and and Kate's been thinking through what's her agenda for the new year. How will she serve the Lord in her business as a financial advisor? These are the kinds of things that we are talking about and thinking about and praying about. Why? Because we are stewards. We recognize that we, everything we have ultimately belongs to the Lord. We've been entrusted. He's the owner and we are the stewards. And that would mean our resources and our time and our thinking. We need to be about His agenda. And isn't that true for all believers? Paul says, I am a debtor. Now look at this carefully in verse 14. I'm under obligation, I'm a debtor, both to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish. There are two contrasting categories. 
that Paul says he is a debtor to, and the two contrasting categories are meant to point out to you and me today the all-inclusive nature of the fact that we are debtors to everyone. Now, first of all, those of us who are Christians know we are first in debt to Christ. We are in debt to Him. The salvation that is the gift that He has given was a costly gift. The birth of Jesus with the intention of coming into the world that he might die on the cross for our sins. We understand that very well. We understand that we are debtors to him. We owe him a debt. He paid a debt we we oh he paid a debt he didn't owe. And we owe a debt that we could never pay, a debt of love, a debt of service, a debt of gratitude, all of these things. We are in debt to Him. We all agree with that. We all understand that. But where have you been? Because we are also, according to Paul, in debt to everyone else. Well, wait a minute. What do you mean I'm in debt to everybody else? Well, notice to whom Paul says you are in debt. You are in debt first to the Greeks and to the barbarians. The Greeks, the cultured intelligentsia of the day. The barbarians included everybody of every nation and every ethnicity that were non-Greeks. And there are two categories of people here that are inclusive of every person on the planet in Paul's day. The Greeks. Oh, how much we owe to the Greeks. The culture. Much of our law, the democratic nature of government, all of these things actually flow from the Greeks and the Greek city-states. Think of all the culture. Think of all the literature. Think of all that is owed to the Greeks, the philosophy, the great Greek philosophers, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, and so many others. We owe Greeks so much architecturally to the Greeks. On and on and on we could go in terms of what we owe to the Greeks. And so Paul says, I'm a debtor first to the Greeks. Those were the up and ups. That's the upper crust. That's the intelligentsia. Those are the people who have the the brilliance and the money and all of that. Paul says, I'm a debtor to those people to get them the gospel. But then Paul says, I'm a debtor to the barbarians. Odd word to use for those who are non-Greeks. But you see, from a Greek perspective, everybody else was a barbarian. The Greeks have given us the beautiful Greek language. The New Testament that you have was originally written in Greek. The Greeks were so proud of their beautiful language, and it is a beautiful language. They were so proud of it that they said everybody else who can't speak Greek is uneducated. And no matter what their language is, when we Greeks hear other languages, it just sounds like they're saying bar, 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 bar. We can't understand a thing they're saying. Their language is terrible. And therefore, everybody in the first century who was a non-Greek came to be called a barbarian. And that's the etymology of that word. Paul says, I'm a debtor. I owe a debt to the Greeks, and I owe a debt to everybody else who's non-Greek. I owe a debt to get the gospel of Christ to them. I'm a debtor to the Greeks, and I'm a debtor to the bar-bar-bar-barbarians. Where have you been? I'm a debtor to the wise and to the foolish. Look at that in verse 14. The wise... That is a phrase or a a term that describes those who are educated. I'm a debtor to, Paul says, I owe a debt of getting the gospel to people that are educated. 
And I owe a debt of getting the gospel to people that are unwise. The word there means to the foolish. The word means uneducated. People who don't have an education. So wherever you are on the social ladder, wherever you are on the educational ladder, do you have an education? Do you not have an education? Are you somewhere in between? Paul says it matters not. I owe you a debt. As you move out of 2018 and into 2019, I want you to begin to think about yourself in terms of your relationship to the Lord and your relationship to every person on the planet as I owe them a debt. Oh, but that's not the American way. No, we're Americans. We're the best. We're self-sufficient. We don't owe anybody anything, though we're in debt up to our eyeballs financially. But no, we don't want to owe a debt to anybody else. We, we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. That's who we are. Well, if you're a Christian, you better think again about all of that. You better think again about what Paul says, I'm a debtor. I owe a debt. Greeks, barbarians, wise and unwise. So, <clears throat> for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Regardless of face, regardless of place, regardless of race, Paul says, it is our job. We are under obligation. We are debtors to get the gospel as best we can to people everywhere they are, wherever they are, with our prayers, with our efforts, with our financial resources, with our personal witness, with setting our agenda under God's agenda for our work, for our school, for our personal lives next year. I am a debtor. Do you understand what Paul is saying? How can we live complacently? How can we live as if we owe no one anything to get the gospel to them? How can we who are Christians live that way? Paul says, I can't live that way. Where have you been? George Stodsklev was a career missionary to the Ivory Coast some years back. He was living in a town, and he and some other people were working on building a building for a group of people within that town, when suddenly a woman appeared who had walked many miles from a distant village in order to seek him out. And she said to him, I hear that you are a man of God. He said, well, yes. She said, you must come with me immediately to my village. George Stodsklev said to her, well, as soon as I finish building this building, I'll be happy to come uh, to your village and talk to your village about God. And she said, no, I, I need you to come now. And he said, no, I, I cannot come now. And she said, okay, fine, then I will wait until you are ready to come. He said, fine, but the man who was working with him, a national there, said, George, you don't understand what that means in our culture here. That means that you will put her up in your house, and she will stay in your house, and you will provide for her everything she needs until you are ready to travel with her back to your, her village. George said, fine, we'll leave today. And so he left his work, traveled the distance to the little village where this woman was from, he met the oldest man in the village, the village elder. And the village elder looked at him and immediately said to him, Where have you been? And George says, what, what do you mean? I don't know what you're talking about. And then the village elder pointed to a little building, a dilapidated building over there. 
And he said, this is the house of God. And he said, several years ago, one of our people went to a town and heard someone teach about Jesus. And this villager of ours heard the gospel of Christ, and he didn't understand much about it, but he became a follower of Jesus. And the missionary who told him about this man, Jesus, told him, go back to your village, destroy the idols, build a house for God, and someone will come soon and tell you more about God. And then the elder said, we've been waiting for someone to come. In fact, we built the house of God and waited and time would go by and it would be destroyed and we would build another house. And turned out the villagers had been waiting 25 years for someone to come and explain to them further who God is and who this Jesus is. And so George began to teach them And he spent many days telling them the story of Jesus and who he is and how to be saved. And many of the villagers came to Christ. And then before he got ready to leave, after they had worked on the house of God and built that church building and gotten it up and running, before he got ready to leave, the elder took him by the hand and said, Before you leave, I want you to come with me. And he took him outside of the village to the cemetery. And one by one, he began to point out this grave and that grave, this grave and that grave. And then he turned to George and he said, So many have waited, so many have died. Where have you been? I'm a debtor. Paul says, I'm a debtor. How a debt? Are you a Greek? Are you a barbarian? Are you educated? Are you uneducated? Do you live in the United States? Do you live in Africa? Do you live in China? Do you live, name the country, name the continent. Paul says, I owe a debt to get the gospel to them. I want you to look at what the, some of the principles that Paul describes. They're very clear and very simple for how you and I might think about our 2019 and the idea that we are a debtor so that at the end of 2019, We won't have to be asked that question, where have you been? Notice in verse 15, Paul says, So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Watch that phrase, so for my part. What's your part in the work of God? What's your part? For 2019. Oh, I'm not a pastor. Well, I didn't say you were a pastor. What is your part? Oh, well, I'm not a paid staff member. No, that's not the question. What's your part in living the Christian life and in sharing the gospel with others? What's your part going to be? What part are you going to play? What part will you play in service through your local church to this community? What part will you play where you work, where you go to school? Where you live, what part will you play to make sure that the people around you to whom you are in debt, owing a debt to the gospel, to get the gospel to them, what part will you play? Notice how personal Paul is about it. So for my part, I'm not going to look at what they're not doing over there. Oh, they should be doing more. (laughs) Uh, No, it's Paul says, for my part. Don't worry about your neighbor. Don't worry about what somebody else in the church is or isn't doing for Jesus. What is your part? Forget about everybody else. What's your part? Paul says, so for my part. Notice how personal he is about it. This is Paul's priority. 
He's willing to give of himself, his part. What's your agenda, Lord, for my life? So for my part, got to be willing to do whatever it takes to get that gospel to everybody. Why? Because we're debtors. We, we owe them that debt of love to get the gospel to them. For my part, notice how personal he is about it. Then he says, I am eager to get the gospel to you. Notice how passionate he is about it. That word eager in the Greek New Testament is a word that has the root, its root is heat. It means to be hot after something. It means to be hot on the trail. Paul says, I am eager, eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He's passionate about it. What are you passionate about? Let me suggest this, that whatever you are passionate about, there's where your time goes. Whatever you are passionate about, there's where your money goes. Whatever you are passionate about, there's where your focus goes. What are you passionate about? Now, it's fine to be passionate about any number of things. We all have things that we love. You have certain hobbies, or you're passionate about this, passionate about that, passionate about sports, or whatever the case may be. It's okay to have passions, but our ultimate passion needs to be Christ and His agenda and His goal. Paul is passionate about it. What is it? He says, I am eager to get the gospel to you. How many of you can say, or will you be willing to say in 2019, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever you want from me, I'm willing to do it to get the gospel to the people I'm in debt to. I go to college over here. I go to school. I'm in this high school or this junior high school, or I work in that building, or I live in this community, and the Lord says, do this. What are you willing to do? If God says, like Paul, to you, you're under obligation, and he does, what are you passionate about? Can you say everything I have and everything I am, I'm willing to use it to get the gospel out? What are you passionate about? Every Southern Baptist knows the name Annie Armstrong. (laughs) We named a mission offering after Miss Annie. Annie Armstrong, in 1893 wrote 17,178 letters on behalf of missions in one year. Way before typewriters, way before computers, way before cell phones, way before any of that. That lady, 365 days of that year, wrote out dozens of letters sending them to individuals and groups and churches on behalf of raising money for foreign missions. What are you prepared to do? That's what Miss Annie did. Are you eager to get the gospel to places where it's never gone before? Now, I know that all of us can't go to do that. Some of us are physically impaired. Some of us don't have the resources to go. We can't necessarily go, but we can be a part of sending others to go. We can't go, but we can touch the world through prayer. We can pray for those who go, pray for those who are there that we will never see by face. We can make a difference partnering with God in this wonderful gospel of getting it out to all of the world. Are you eager to get the gospel to places that you'll never go and places where the gospel may never have been heard. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So says the great 
him. Then comes the famous verse 16. Everybody knows about Romans 1, 16. For, Paul says, on the grounds and basis of what I've just said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now there's a big point to make. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. If you're ashamed of something, you don't talk about it. You don't expend time on it. But if you're not ashamed then you're willing to talk about it and you're willing that you don't mind the world to know. I've been married to beautiful Kate for two years. God has brought us together, brought our lives together. I'm not ashamed of her. I'm happy to trumpet her goodness and graces to anybody and everybody that will listen. I'm not ashamed to talk about her, not ashamed to be with her, not ashamed to join my life with her life. That which we are not ashamed about is that means I am willing to expend time and effort and all that it may take. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of something. And notice what he's not ashamed of, the gospel. The word gospel means good news. It's the story of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ where he died on the cross for our sins. Paul summarized it in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Here is the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And the third day he rose again. And all who will believe in him will be saved from their sins by the grace of God. That is the gospel. The good news is that everybody on the planet can be saved from their sinful state. The good news is that God's concluded all of us, Romans 1, 18 through 3, 20. God says, are you Jew? Are you a non-Jew? Are you Greek, Gentile? Hey, it doesn't matter. God says, I conclude all of you under sin. You are all sinners. There's no hope. Can't save yourself. You're in dire straits. You're headed to hell. God says, everybody is a sinner. But then God says, do I have good news for you? I actually love you. I created you, you rebelled against me, but I love you and I've demonstrated, proven my love. Christ came, Romans 5, 8. God has demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Every person on the planet is savable. And the reason every person on the planet is savable is because God has come through Christ and Christ died on the cross for their sins and if they will meet God's condition of salvation which is repentance of their sin and faith in Christ they can be saved and that's good news folks in the midst of the world in which we live in the midst of the circumstances of the world that is good news I am not ashamed of the gospel The sacrifice of Christ on the cross puts an assessment of God's love on the souls of every person, on every person's life and their eternal soul and their eternal destiny. And the debt that we owe to them will never be paid by taking the pennies of the interest on the principle and giving that to God but leaving the principle untouched. No, we're going to have to dig deep. We're going to have to go all full throttle. We're going to have to say, Lord, what do you want me to do to get the gospel to you, the precious gospel of Christ? We can't pay the debt of love to him and the debt of the gospel to the world that we owe if we live on the interest and forever leave the principle untouched. It'll never happen. But that's descriptive of so many of us. Lord, I give you my pennies. 
but my dollars are for me. I give you the pennies of my time, but my dollars are for me. I give you the pennies of my thinking, the pennies of my effort, but my dollars are for me. Aren't you grateful when we celebrate Christmas this season? Aren't you grateful that that's not how God thought about you? Aren't you grateful that when God got ready to provide salvation, He gave His greatest gift, His best gift. He gave His all. Thanks be unto God for His indescribable gift, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, 15. He gave us Christ. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. What's that worth? What's that worth to you? And the blood that was shed for the sins of the world. What's that worth to every lost soul out there? Paul says, I am a debtor. Got to pay that debt. I have lost friends. Do you? You do. You have people that are unsaved. You don't want them to die in their sins and spend eternity separated from God. You owe them a debt, Paul says. The unsaved need that gospel. And you and I are the ones who can bring that gospel. And therefore, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God. That's the wonderful thing. God can reach into the depths of a dirty human heart and redeem that heart from its sin and wash it white as snow. That's power. You think, well, power resides in Washington. No. Power resides over there in the United Nations. No. Power resides in the great American military. Of course, that's a wonderful military, but that's nothing. That's nothing compared to God's power. You want to know where power is? It's the power of God, the gospel, to reach into a human heart in rebellion against God and redeem that heart and forgive all of that sin. That's the power of the gospel. And it can go anywhere at any time. It's the power of God, look at it, that results in salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone. If you believe in Christ, then because of His death on the cross for your sins, if you meet God's condition of salvation, faith in Jesus, He will save you. It doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter who you are, that's the gospel. What good news. Let's get that gospel to everybody that we can. Paul says, I'm going to get it to the Jew first and also to the Greek. By the way, this is a part of this text that we often ignore. What are you doing in your life, what are you doing in your church life to engage in Jewish evangelism? This has never been rescinded. The gospel should go first to the Jewish people and then to everyone else. It needs to go to both. Why is it that we are so big on getting the gospel to the non-Jewish community and we just forget about the Jewish community? We need to have a concern for God's people, His chosen people, through whom the Messiah came. God has a plan for Israel just like He does for everybody else. The gospel should go to the Jews first. Interesting, all through the book of Acts, every town Paul goes into, do you know what he does? He first goes to the Jews. And he preaches the gospel. And a few of them will believe. The majority reject. And then Paul, after he preaches to the Jews, then he goes to everybody else. Hmm. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, it doesn't matter. The Jews divided everybody up in two categories. 
The Jews were like the Greeks, just the opposite. The Greeks said, we're the Greeks, we're the best, and everybody else is a barbarian. The Jews said, we're God's chosen people, we're the Jews, and everybody else, you are dog Gentiles. You are Gentile dogs. But Paul uses all the terminology here. It doesn't matter, Jews or Gentiles. Every human being is deserving of your effort to get the gospel to them because God loves them and Christ died for them on the cross. And the gospel, verse 17, is the righteousness of God that comes by faith. That's how we are saved, is by faith. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to pay money for it. No, Jesus has already paid the debt. That's why I'm a debtor. He paid my debt. Therefore, I owe a debt to him and to everybody else to be about his agenda of getting his righteousness. That's why Paul quotes Habakkuk in the end of verse 17. For the righteous one shall live by faith. What are you going to do in 2019? By faith. Trusting God using you, using your prayers, using your finances, using your time, your effort to get the gospel to people around the world. What are you going to do? Do you hear that? Do you hear them calling? Do you hear them? Where have you been? One of my favorite African-American preachers was Freddie Sampson. Fred Sampson pastored a great church in Detroit for many, many years. Years ago when he told the story about his childhood, I'll never forget it, he used to spend the summers on his grandparents' farm in Selma, Alabama. And there would be Freddie. And he said, early one morning before the sun was up, his grandfather awakened him out of his bed. Freddie, get up. And he wiped the sleep out of his eyes. And he said, get up. And Freddie said, granddaddy, why? It's not even daylight yet. He said, get up, son. It's time to go to work. We've got to go to work. And so Freddie got dressed and he went downstairs. And his grandfather took him outside to the old chopping stump and with the wood that was there, gave him a hat, an axe and said, chop this wood. We need that wood for grandmother to work through the day. She'll need that to cook. She'll need that for breakfast and other cooking through the day. And so he chopped all that wood. Then he did some other things his grandfather told him to do. And directly he could smell the aroma of the breakfast that his grandmother was cooking as it wafted out through the window outside where he was working and he smelled the eggs and the bacon and the biscuits and the gravy and all and even the frying chicken because many times in the south I'm from the south some of you aren't but anybody knows in the days gone by sometimes you would have fried chicken also for breakfast in the deep south and so he could smell all of that and directly grandmother called him in for breakfast he went in he sat down a wonderful meal and then he after he'd eaten he said well he got up from the table and he began to walk back up the stairs of the house thought he might go back and get a little shut eye he got to the top of the stairs as he tells the story his grandfather met him and said freddie where are you going freddie said i'm going back to bed and his grandfather said, no, son, you're not going back to bed. It's not time to go to bed. It's time to go to work. And Freddie said, well, granddaddy, what do you mean? I've already been working. His grandfather said, no, son, no, you haven't been working. And Freddie said, what do you mean, granddaddy? He said, oh, what about all that wood I chopped and all the stuff I've been doing around the house that you've asked me to do? And then Freddie said his grandfather taught him a lesson he never forgot. He said, his grandfather said, no, son, you haven't been working. 
He said, anything you do to this house, for this house, around this house, those are the chores, but the work is in the fields. Where have you been? Lift up your eyes and look on those fields that are white unto harvest, our Lord said. Where have you been? Anything you do in this church? For this church? Around this church? That's good. Them there are the chores. But the work is in the fields. I'm a debtor. The Greeks, the barbarians, the wise, the foolish. So for my part, I'm eager to get the gospel to all of you in Rome because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Where have you been? I'm going to lead us in a closing prayer, and then we're going to respond to God's Word. You know, the most important part of the message is at the very end where we do business with God. Where have you been in 2018? Where will you be in 2019? This is an opportunity for us to do business with God. Let's hear His voice through His Word. Let's hear the cry of the world. Where have you been? And let us determine that his agenda will be our agenda. That we are at his beck and call and his service for an upcoming year of 2019. Where have you been? Holy Father, I pray that you would take the word that we have read from your Bible. What Paul has taught us in these verses. And that you would apply it now to our lives as you see fit. Lord, let us respond in our heart as you would call us to respond. And if there's one person in this service who's not a Christian, Father, may they come to Christ right now in this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? And if you need Christ, would you come? There'll be someone here at the front or I'll be here as well. But it's time to do business for the Lord. Where have you been? Would you come this morning if God's leading you or do business right where you're standing with Him while they play and while they sing? Right now, you respond.